Welcome to the podcast, and we've got such a fun one for you today. We're going to have Andre Ware on to talk about the Texans situation heading into the Giants game and some thoughts on Deshaun Watson in year two. And also Bob Papa, the voice of the New York Giants. And Bob does a lot of golf stuff as well. I'll actually ask him a question or two about this because I find it interesting. I think you will as well. And a fireside chat. We're going to start these up. This is on the first time, the only time the Texans beat the Giants heading into Sunday's matchup at NRG Stadium. So big podcast today on Vandermeer's View and this for Freddy's Frozen Custard with 12 locations, three new locations opening soon in Full Shear, Kingwood, and Porter, and the new food truck custom designed to bring the steak burgers, fries, and frozen custard you love to your event. Freddy's original double steak burger is a real game changer. Well, always a game changer to catch up with the voice of the New York Giants, Bob Papa, and let's get to that conversation. Bob, how are you coping with the 0-2 start, my friend? It's got to be tough with the Giants in the early going. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are a little surprised at how much the new offensive line has struggled out of the gate. Um, obviously, they changed all five positions. There's only one holdover player, and Eric Flowers was moved from left tackle to right tackle. Um, and the other night, I think, was a huge disappointment. Jacksonville, you knew it was going to be a tough game. You guys know how good the Jaguars are defensively, but for the Giants' inability to block the Cowboys at all up front and not able to kind of use their weapons, I think has people a little bit stunned right now because there's plays to be had down the field, but if the quarterback is constantly ducking and getting smashed, it's pretty hard to get to anything else. Bob, before we get back to the offense, what about the defensive side of the ball? Because you hold the Cowboys to 20. I mean, you're able to do some things positively there. And the Jags, I mean, that was a relatively close game. So what do you think of that side of the ball? You know, they've, they, they've, they've had some mistakes early in the game, but they seem to be getting better during the game. Uh, one of the problems that they have right now, especially with Olivier Vernon, uh, dealing with his injury, his, his ankle injury, is they don't really get a consistent pass rush. And Dak Prescott and Blake Bortles had a lot of time to sit back there in the pocket. But, you know, I, I see improvement on that side of the ball. That's going to be a work in progress because they're switching to a 3-4. They have a lot of new players. I mean, Mark, the Giants only have 23 players on their roster that were on the roster last year. I mean, they, they, they got 30 guys moved out. So they're constantly churning the roster. I mean, they made the most waiver claims after the final cuts were made, you know, after the last preseason game. Mm-hmm. You know, they brought in eight more new guys then. So it's they're kind of mixing and matching right now, and they're going to have their hands full against the Texans because, you know, they haven't gone against a receiving core yet that's as good as Houston's. I mean, they went against Dallas, who really doesn't have any receivers. And Jacksonville doesn't have world beaters either. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Bob Papa, voice of the Giants, joining us. Eli Manning, class of 04, was a great class, and those top three guys are all still playing. What are we looking at at Eli Manning at this stage of his career? The New York media was grilling Pat Shermer about Eli's confidence. Where do you think Eli is at? Listen, I believe Eli can still play. They believed after they watched the tape at the end of last season, that Eli's got more than enough game left in him. Um, has he been a little shell-shocked? Uh, he'll never admit to this, but the amount of hits that he's taken over the last couple of years, and, and the Giants' issues don't go back to last year. The Giants' issues trace back to as far back as 2010 when they started whiffing on draft classes. And 
and the amount of players that they drafted over the last six years that not only were no hitters for them, but no hitters in the NFL, where once they left here, they didn't even go sign anywhere else, is an alarming number. And they missed on a bunch of offensive linemen over that period of time. So then you wind up in a situation like this where you've had one of the worst running teams in the NFL over the last four years, and you've had these bad offensive line drafts, and now you're going out and you have to sort of rebuild an offensive line on the fly. And Eli has taken the brunt of that by the amount of hits that he's taken and no running game. And I think he's a little shocked at how bad it was the other day. I mean, they were, you know, they couldn't handle some simple stunts that the Cowboys were throwing at him. And it's got to get fixed in a hurry because he's not going to run you out of trouble. And as we saw on Monday Night Football, if your old line is not holding up their end of the bargain, Russell Wilson can run, and he was getting obliterated. So it's, it, protection is something that they've got to fix, and they've got to get a more consistent run game going. Bob Papa, voice of the Giants, joining us on Texans Radio. Saquon Barkley, I know it hasn't blossomed yet, and you've described some of the reasons why, but how good do you think he can be based on what you've seen so far? Well, he's going to be outstanding. I mean, every time he touches the ball, first of all, he's making the first guy miss. And even when he gets a two-yard run, I mean, he's, he's turned some four-yard losses into two-yard runs. And as fans saw on Sunday Night Football, when they throw him the ball, he's obviously a factor there. Look, he's still learning. I mean, against against Jacksonville, because remember, he only played in the first preseason game, and then he had a hamstring injury, so he didn't play in any of the remaining three preseason games. You could see there were some learning things on the fly as far as following his blocking a little bit more, understanding the flow of an NFL game. You know, all these young running backs, the first thing you want to do is bounce it outside because in college you got the wide hash, you bounce it outside, and you're beating guys that will never even be invited to an NFL camp, let alone play in the NFL. Now you're in the NFL, the hashes are in the middle of the field, the field's more balanced, and everybody you're playing against has already made it in the NFL. But I think, you know, his potential and, and what we've seen so far is pretty dynamic. Bob, I know you do a ton of these interviews, and I do too, and people always ask about the big games. But give me a name or two New York Giants players who you're excited about who people might not be talking about that much nationally. Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, from the offensive side of the ball, um, I want to see – I mean, Evan Ingram was a first-round pick, but you want to see him be more consistent. He had a touchdown catch against the Cowboys. He's got mad skills. And he had the drops last year, and I totally got that because of all the injuries they had at the receiver. And suddenly you're asking a rookie to be the focal point of your passing attack. He had a really good camp, had some drop issues in week one. He's a guy that I want to see, you know, blossom into the kind of player that he can be. Lorenzo Carter on the defensive side of the ball is an active linebacker who the Giants drafted out of the University of Georgia. And, you know, from what we've seen so far, you know, his awareness, his ability to use his hands to understand spacing, to get after the quarterback, to know when to put his hands up to knock down a pass. I think he is, this kid is just scratching the surface, and I think he can be a fantastic player for the Giants moving forward. Bob, on October 7th, the Texans play the Dallas Cowboys. They only meet every four years being an NFC team, just like with the Giants. But what do you make of Dallas in the early going here, having just seen them up close and personal? Well, they're good defensively. Uh, they've got you know a very athletic 
defensive front seven. They got guys that can fly around to the football, and they can get after the quarterback. I think they're de- and their secondary's better. Um, their secondary's a lot better, and I think people sort of misidentify some of the Cowboys' secondary play over the last couple of years and superimpose it on this current team. It's a better secondary. It, listen, in order for Dallas to be successful this year, the Cowboys are going to have to play to a certain profile that hopefully their fans are going to be able to tolerate. And that profile is this. Run the football, control the clock, use the quarterback in their run game, and then play lights-out defense and play low-scoring kind of games. I know Cowboys fans get all excited and they think about, you know, Witten and, and Dez in his prime catching passes and making big plays. That's not their profile. If they play to their profile, they can grind out wins. But, you know, their receiving core leaves a lot to be desired. Bob, couple more for you. You do a lot of golf, and I always think being a golfer might be the best professional athlete to be. All the sports that you call, is that the one? Because you can play it your whole life, professionally your whole life, basically. What do you think? Yeah, it's not a bad, it's not a bad lifestyle. Um, not to mention, you know, in, with, with these stories coming out about the Hall of Fame guys wanting, uh, you know, uh, lifetime medical benefits and they want to get paid as hall of famers and all this other stuff the greatest pension plan in all of sport is the pga tour because for every cut they make it qualifies for their pension uh all the dollars that they earn you know goes into their pension and they keep earning and earning and earning and with the dollar values going up on the pga tour they're putting more and more money in and then when they turn 50 they have a PGA Tour Champions pension that starts. So they're like almost double dipping and they can keep earning. Now, the other side of this is you got to get your tour card. And, you know, there's a lot of guys that have talent that never made it. And remember something you got to pay your own way. You, know, mm-hmm. you pay your own airline, you pay your own hotel, you pay for your food, you pay for your own caddy. So you're. You know, it's costing you when you're starting out early in your career. It's costing you about 150 grand a year just to chase the dream. And if you think about, you know, the amount of guys on tour and the amount of guys that never make it on tour that are tremendous players, you know, that's the tough road of it. Um, so, but still, it's to me, it's the way to go. Either that or a left-handed pitcher that can get lefties. Out. <laughs> that's not bad either. All right, one more. Being in the New York market, you still travel all around the country, all the other sports you do and everything, but is it just talk or is it reality that New York is the toughest place to play for an athlete, in your opinion? It's pretty tough. I mean, you know, the expectation level is championship or nothing. You've, got, you've always got the comparison between the two teams, right? Because you've got two football teams, you've got two baseball teams, you've got two NBA teams, and you've got three hockey teams. So there's there's always that media scrutiny comparing one to the other, and and it can get pretty rough around here. Um, the one thing that football teams in New York do have to it to their advantage is it's a baseball town first. So, like the first month of the season, if you're struggling, you can fly a little bit under the radar depending on what's going on with the Yankees or the Mets. But the Mets have been kind of out of the equation. So if the Yankees if they get into the playoffs and then all that other stuff, you can kind of run undercover a little bit. But, yeah, it can get pretty rough here, especially with, you know, the competing fan bases and, you know, an average coach's press conference or a locker room session with, you know, with the Giants on an average day is 
you know, you've got at least 15 reporters and you've got at least 10 to 12 TV camera crews there, not to mention radio stations. So it's, you know, it's 40 people every day. That's a lot of microphones. Okay, Bob, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate the visit. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Mark, thanks for having me, as always. There's Bob Papa. Now, before we get to Andre Ware, the Texans spent countless hours prepping for game day, and that's why they rely on Bose Quiet Comfort 35 headphones to block out distractions and focus on what matters most. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps you do the same. Concentrate on your music, your work, or whatever you're passionate about with QC35 wireless headphones, too. Learn more at Bose.com slash Texans. Bose, the exclusive sound of the Houston Texans. Well, the sound of the Houston Texans includes Andre Ware and myself doing games on Sunday. So let's get to Dre on this week. Dre, you got to be looking forward to some home cooking on Sunday. I really am. You know, we've it's, it's funny. We've been on the road two weeks in a row. It seems like every ball has bounced uh, the home team's way and, and, and so on and so forth. So I'm looking forward to uh, to getting ba- getting back to uh, to the stadium here, our stadium in Houston, and uh, as you mentioned, getting some some good old home cooking. Last week, I asked you about Deshaun after that performance against the Patriots. Well, the numbers were a whole lot better against the Titans. I think we saw improvement there. I know they didn't get the win, but I think we saw improvement. They just have to finish drives. What's your take heading into Week Three here? Uh, I still like the way he's playing. I like everything. But my opinion hadn't swayed one. Uh, one one iota I, I think he's still going to be and is a special player um you know you make mistakes he's still a young player here's here's what people have to realize uh he's essentially eight games into his professional career uh he hadn't even completed an entire year yet so uh, you know you're looking at a rookie quarterback because of the injury last year and uh that's what you have to keep in mind when you uh start to maybe uh, grade your paper a little high in terms of being uh, critical of someone. So just be patient. This guy's going to be everything I think everyone thinks he's going to be. All right, let me flip it over to the other quarterback this weekend. That would be one Eli Manning, who obviously has a great deal of accomplishments, including two Super Bowls. But we're getting later in the career here. He's class of 04 with Roethlisberger and Rivers. What are you seeing? What are you thinking about Eli Manning these days? I think he's taking some undue criticism as well. Um, you know, last year they lose receivers, they lose playmakers, they lose uh, offensive linemen. What do you want the guy to do? And then, you know, he doesn't have much in front of him this year where he, he gets the time to throw to, to Odell, Beckham, Odell Beckham or Shepard on the other side. and He's got to check it down 14 times to Saquon Barkley. I mean, you know, you're only as good – as really what's in front of you. You can manage things uh, around you as a quarterback if the offensive line is good. But when you have a bad offensive line and you're not a very athletic quarterback to begin with, that makes the job a whole lot harder to perform. So, you know, I I think Eli Manning is capable of having uh, as good a game uh, as, uh, as anyone in the entire NFL on any given Sunday, and that, that's, that's no different. My opinion doesn't, uh, doesn't sway. If they, if they provide him protection, there is enough around him where he can certainly carve up a defense. You talked about Barkley for a moment. Barkley in college and what you see from him as a pro or potentially as a pro, he's only two games into his career. What do you think of him as a player, Andre? 
Well, I think he's uh, he's got tremendous ability. Uh, he, he reminds me, and, and don't you know for a, a second think I'm comparing. I'm just saying reminds me a little bit of Barry in the way he uh, Barry Sanders, the way he's so shifty and built the low center of gravity. The legs are so strong that you're not just the first guy I can forget about uh, getting him down. Now with him, they they've struggled to run the football a little bit because what's in front of him and he's only as good in terms of running the football uh, as the five guys that work in front of him. Now they've had to do some things differently to try to get him the ball in space to allow him to go to work, which is why he caught 14 passes uh, last week against the Cowboys. So uh, I, I think he's a special player. Uh, you couple him with Odell Beckham, and and it's uh, it, it's something that to uh, to definitely be seen. Everyone wants to rank the receivers all the time, but it's clear to say that Beckham's certainly one of the best. And even though he's not off to a blistering start, he certainly has the capability, like you said earlier. Yeah, I mean it's early, and I expect offenses, especially when there are new pieces to an offense, to to struggle out of the gate. Defenses are always ahead of the offense. At, uh, at this point in the season. Uh, come back to me about midseason, about three-quarters of the way through, and then talk about Odell Beckham Jr.'s stats. You know what I'm saying? In, in, in a sense that he'll figure out a way to put it together, and he will, when you look up at the end of the day, uh, he'll be over 1,000 yards receiving once again. That's provided uh, he's able to stay healthy. But uh, he is certainly, if not the best in the business, certainly one of the best in the business. As we talk about the Giants offense here, Andre, the Houston defense, when you look at them, and I know it's going to be tough this week, they have to find a way to get pressure on Manning, but what do you think as they head home to play the Giants following a good performance yardage-wise basically against Tennessee, but they didn't make the stops they wanted to in the crunch? I think they're going to see a lot of uh, a good part of the Tennessee game plan, maybe early or at some point early in the game in terms of quick passes, and you get dynamic receivers and Shepard and, and Beckham that can turn hit screens into, you know, 60, 70-yard touchdowns if, if they make a guy miss. So, uh, And the receivers are more dynamic than what you saw last week against uh, the Titans. So I, I would expect the defense to see a game plan, uh, especially after the protection or the, the way the protection was against the Cowboys last week, quicker passes, things of that that sort. Once you spread the defense out, then they will unleash Barkley on you in the running game. Uh, it, it'll be a lot of, of what we saw last week against Tennessee with better players, I might add. Andre, where with us. Andre, I was really hoping Jacksonville would take a step back this year. That does not oh, no. appear to be the case at all after they did what they did against New England. And they're probably the best team in the AFC, maybe in the entire league. I don't know about the Rams. I mean, I think the Rams are awesome as well, but it's early. What do you think of the Jags? Uh, we used to joke uh, between the two of us about, um, you know, wanting to see Chad Henney or not wanting to see Chad Henney and keeping Blake Bortles in the game. Well, uh, you know, now it's kind of be careful what mm. you ask for because the guy has turned into uh, a pretty good player. He's taking care of the ball. Uh, he is playing with a tremendous amount of confidence, and he's surrounded with uh, a, a great supporting cast. So when you mix all that, and defensively, I think they may be they might be the best defense in, in the NFL right now. When you talk about from top to bottom, all three levels of, of D line, linebackers, and secondary, uh, it's hard to match up. They've also gotten to the point, and I mentioned this 
the other day that when they draft, it's for depth purposes because they are a complete football team that's just adding on to an already talented roster. And it's a scary thing because they're very young in a lot of uh, a lot of positions. So uh, it, it's they're going to be around for a while, I'm afraid. And uh, we're just it's just going to be something that the Texans are going to have to deal with. After looking at what the Titans have on their team roster-wise, and I know they performed well against the Texans, no doubt, but when they get everybody back, when they get healthier on offense, and then you look at what they have defensively, what do you think of them as a team moving forward here? I know they lost to the Dolphins opening day. That was a weird game. And here you have all these teams going into week three again early in the season. But what are your long-term thoughts on Tennessee? Yeah, I've always kind of scratched scratched my head when you – you know, finally make the playoffs and win a playoff game since I think it was 03 was the last time the Titans have won a, a playoff game. And then you fire the coach, change the entire uh, staff and, and things of that sort, and you got a talented uh, uh, team, you think you would just build on that. Their problem has been his injuries, injuries to Marcus Mariota, now Delaney Walker's out, uh, the two tackles are uh, both pro bowlers and, and certainly uh, uh, very do their jobs very well. Um, it, it's it's just tough to get a beat on them and how good they actually can be uh, once everyone's healthy and back in the fold. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where they're a young but talented team, but all of a sudden here comes another coaching change for Marcus Mariota, a new system in which to learn and try to adjust to. And I've always said when you continue to do that to a young quarterback, it's like being a rookie all over again where you don't have a foundation to come back to year in and year out. Tom Brady's been in the same system essentially every single year he was in the has been in the NFL. The same with a guy like Joe Montana and Terry Bradshaw. It's why they've been successful because they have things they come back to and they build on rather than a lot of guys who go through coaching changes every single year. And I'm afraid that's what uh, it's going to be for Marcus Mariota. Trey, what do you have on the college circuit this week? Well, I got the Canes again, believe it or not, and I'm headed to uh, to South Florida to watch them against FIU and, and Butch Davis's bunch. I've actually been texting back and forth with the former Hurricanes head coach and uh, looking forward to seeing him. Got a chance to work with him and do some shows when he was uh, taking a sabbatical from, from uh, coaching and doing some TV at, uh, at ESPN. So uh, we became pretty good friends. So I like him a lot, respect him uh, equally as much, and, and I'm just looking forward to catching up with him and seeing his bunch play. They put up 60-plus points uh, last week in, in their ball game. Uh, it's a tough tour, chore this week against Miami being at home, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, you better say hello for me. And Butch was actually really good on television, I thought. I thought he was pretty good on the he, two. He was. He, he is great on television, or was great on television. But, you know, his passion has always been to get back in the business and become a head coach again. And, and I think he just he, he just knows how to build uh, programs. He knows how to recruit. And, and, uh, and he's going to do a fine job at FIU. Dre, thanks a lot. Good luck this week. We'll see you Sunday. All right, buddy. I'll see you then. Andre Ware on the podcast. And this final bit here is something that I did on Texans All Access, but I think you'll enjoy it. It's a fireside chat on the only time the Texans beat the Giants. As we look back with highlights, with memories, yes, it's the fireside chat. 
Now, I know it's not cold enough to build a fire, but let's just pretend for a moment, because here at NRG Stadium, the air conditioner is on full blast, as it is in many of your homes, so I'm just going to go with it. Fireside chat, so cue the music, and let's roll, as I will tell you about the first time the Texans, and the only time, the Texans defeated the New York Giants. Why am I doing a fireside chat? Well, everyone says that I always talk about Texans history, so let's just make it a thing, shall we? Now, the thing about the New York Giants is, This is the first team of any kind the Texans played in a game. It was a Hall of Fame game in Canton. Now, they scrimmaged the Cowboys three days before. How about that? Three days before. But they scrimmaged the Cowboys. That's a scrimmage. First game, Hall of Fame game, August 2002. Texans out there against the New York Giants. They lost that one. It was Kerry Collins. And Kerry Collins is not exactly a central figure in Texans history. But the Texans have faced Kerry Collins eight times with Four different teams. Now, this is semi-interesting as well. I use that semi-word because, I mean, how interesting is it really? But it's just notable. It's kind of trivia. Last week, the Texans played Blaine Gabbert. That was his third team that he's played with against the Texans, and they faced them numerous times with the Jags and then Arizona last year and then the Titans last week, and we want to forget about that one. But Kerry Collins was the quarterback in the Hall of Fame game and was the quarterback when the Giants visited NRG, then Reliant, Stadium in year one. Now, the expansion year, we all remember, began with the Texans beating the Cowboys opening night. And since the Texans are playing the NFC East, this is another NFC East showdown year. And that means it's your fifth matchup ever with Dallas. It's your fifth matchup ever with the Giants. I mentioned before that Kareem and John Weeks are the only players to ever face the Giants three times as Houston Texans. But the Giants did visit that year. Now, the Texans already had two wins under their belt. 2002, they beat the Cowboys opening night, and they beat the Jaguars for their first road win a few weeks later. And this would be their third ever victory of any kind. They beat the Giants at NRG Stadium, and it was one to remember in that the defense put up another dominant performance that day, one of several dominant performances that year. For this defense, I mean, 1910, they beat the Cowboys opening day. You remember the game with Pittsburgh. That happened a few weeks after this Giants game when they beat the Steelers with three defensive scores in Steel City. But here they are at home at NRG Stadium. And what are some of the highlights of this one? Look, there weren't many. It was a 16-14 victory. David Carr threw for 103 yards. They ran it for a buck 23. Now, Carr ran it for 54 yards. Little note on Carr here. David Carr's career in Houston went from 02 through 06. During that time, he was second in the league in rushing among quarterbacks. You know who was number one during that time? It was Michael Vick. So Carr was the second leading rushing quarterback in the league throughout his career with the Houston Texans. Another trivial note for you. Billy Miller led the way with four catches for 70 yards, and the Texans would actually score first in this game with a Chris Brown 40-yard field goal. But the Giants got on the board thanks to this run by a very famous running back. High formation. Barber and Stackhouse. Collins tosses the ball to Barber, running to the left side, looking for room, slides through a tackle across the goal line. Touchdown, Giants. That's right. Tiki Barber drawing blood for the Giants. Fictional football blood. 7-3, the Giants led in the second quarter. Again, a low-scoring affair. In the third quarter, the Texans would start to get things going on the scoreboard, on the ground, and a guy named Jonathan Wells, Buckeye, did the job for Houston. Handoff, Wells, over right guard. He's in. Ring it up. Touchdown, Houston. Now, one thing I will never forget about this game is how many times the Giants had the ball late. I mean, with 6.57 to go after the Texans took the lead, 
The Giants got it to the 41-yard line, their 41-yard line, but they had to punt. Texans got the ball back, three and out. Giants get it back again with plenty of time to do something with it, and they actually drove it down to the Houston 33-yard line, but the play of the game happened by a guy who in the first year was kind of well-known here in Houston. Collins under center gets the snap. He's being pressured, unloads, and it's intercepted at the 28-yard line. The Texans have the ball. Houston dodges the bullet. Jeff Posey with the pick, and the Texans have the football with 1 minute 19 seconds to play in a 16-14 lead. That's right, Jeff Posey, who had eight sacks to lead the Texans that year and would go to Buffalo the very following year, was only here one season, but he had the big play of the game. Texans, again, a three and out after that, and the Giants got the ball one more time, but they ran out of time, and that was it. The Texans beat the Giants 16-14 to the first time they ever faced him. I mentioned it before that the Texans have faced Kerry Collins Eight times. They are 5-3 and three all time against them. I just think it's funny stuff. He was with the Raiders after that. He was with the Titans after that. They faced them a few times with Tennessee. He actually played in that 07 barn burner here when the Titans beat the Texans with the eight field goals by Rob Baronis. And he also played against the Texans as an Indianapolis Colt. Remember that one? The opening day game in 2011 when the Texans started that season off with a bang. Ben Tate ran well that day. Arian Foster, who ran for 231 against the Colts on opening day the year before, was sitting out with a hamstring, I believe, some sort of injury. He came back in a couple of games later, but Ben Tate was big that day. There's your Texans fireside chat. How about that? A little memory lane stuff involving your Houston Texans. Well, that's going to do it for the podcast today. Thanks to all for listening, and we look forward to the Texans playing the New York Giants And next week, more on Vandermeer's View, of course. Probably catch up with the voice of the Indianapolis Colts, who these days is Matt Taylor after Bob Lamey stepped aside. So we'll talk to him, and we'll do some other things as well. You'll just have to stay tuned. Check out the other podcasts as well. Have a wonderful day, and go Texans.